They just push as fast as they can to get these vaccines listed. So if you get on this list, if you get a vaccine on this list, bang, there's a billion dollars probably every year, if not more. These organizations need to be held accountable. There is no checks and balances at this level and they just do whatever they want. And this is the proof about this whole deep state thing. You're like, oh, you're a conspiracy. This is what it is. Trudeau is trying to back out of it and take any responsibility, which I understand. That's what he always does, right? But the reality is he's responsible. He's the guy at the top. He's the one letting these things happen. He's the one that said, yeah, press play. Let's do this Arrive Can app. Let's track everybody. Got it. And then they approved this $54 million. Look, we know that government spending is always going to be five times more. Five times more, no one even would have batted an eye. If it was five million, they would have been like, ah, who cares? But dude, 54 times more? It's insane, and someone's got to be hung out to dry for this, right? Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Blender Report. My name is Jonathan Harvey. This is your co-host, Aaron Cole. How's it going? I've already told you how this works twice, so that's all you're going to get from me. Let's uh, let's get into it, bro. Hey, man, there's some so, some pretty interesting stuff going on in the world of media. Uh, recently, we had Vice News announce that they're doing some more layoffs, actually. It, it said that there, uh, there was like a recent report, and it said that they were firing about 10% of the remaining workforce. So they already lost over like 3,000, I think it was last year. They were year. that big? Yeah, they wow. were massive. They were a very big conglomerate, but... It's interesting to see it because, like, you know, I, I think we're finally seeing that media reckoning. What, what do you think? Well, it's kind of interesting. Like, Vice used to be pretty badass back in the day. They used to do some really <laughs> cool pieces, some, like, cool documentaries, some, like, really good investigative journalism. But then they got yeah. bought up by companies like Disney. They, they sold up chunks. Oh, to Disney make, invested Yeah, in them? I think they were, like, 10% or something. Uh, or they did at one point. I think they still do. And then as soon as that happens, it's just like you go from being this cool, independent media platform that can dig into cool stories and tell the truth. And then you become kind of this, the part of this Western, you know, mainstream media apparatus. And I think at that point, it's like, that's the day someone got paid and you decided that you were done being investigative journalists and really being independent. It's kind of how it works. So I think you sort of, at that point, live and die based on the, you know, the strength of the rest of the mainstream media. And as we're seeing, like it's falling apart. Like, um, WAPO, the Washington Post, same thing. They've cut yeah. a ton of staff. And it's funny. They're like, well, Jeff Bezos has a ton of money. He should just keep throwing it in. I'm like, guys, 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 it's a business <laughs> and it's not performing well. Just because the guy has hundreds of billions of dollars doesn't mean he should just continue throwing money into this and lighting it on fire because legacy media is dying. Legacy media, rather. So I'm like, eh, it is what it is. Nah, that's how the game goes, you know what I mean? And it's funny enough, uh, I swear like Tim Pool used to even be a part of that. And he's like always constantly yeah. complaining about how Vice, they really got away from the roots. But funny enough for me, like, you know, as like I, when I was like first experiencing Vice, I was like, man, I was pretty young. I was in high school. I was like probably in like uh, 10th or 11th grade. Right. And they actually were the, some of the first like, you know, media to like really get me interested in like video editing. That's what like really threw, threw me uh, into the world of that because I was like, man, how did they do that cool zooming edit? How did they, you know, get, you know, storytell? How did they do all of this stuff? So to see them fall off a cliff to just become propaganda pushers is like, it's almost like watching a hero die almost. Yeah, know? I mean, it's interesting, right? Like every time you look at sort of these corporations or the government or anything like that, I feel like they use all the tools at their disposal to sort of build their narrative in the public eye. And I think it's actually yeah. more corporations in this sense than it is the government. But I mean, like, they own all the movie studios. They own all the radios. They own all the newspapers. They own all the, now it's all these podcasts and bigger platforms. They they own all the news stations. They, you know, they, they, 
basically dictate like you look at the simpsons man like there's no way it's like you're <laughs> you telling me what's happening next Bart on the simpsons anymore yeah, that's yeah. how much they're changing uh, it so it, it's just one of those things that i guess you know over time they get scooped up for an exorbitant amount of money and someone makes makes a really reasonable payday and goes you know what hey i did my thing and I, it worked great you guys yeah. can go take it and choke it to death if you want i guess but you know yeah man that's how the game goes well guys on to headline number one for today so headline number one we have the federal chief technology officer lied to the committee about ArriveCan. This is based on a CBC article. And in this article, it says that the federal, the federal government's chief technology officer, Min Don, lied when he testified at committee that he did not know who hired the GC strategist to build the ArriveCan app. A former Canada Border Service agency, uh, agency director has told MPs that Mr. Doan, at the time of the CBSA's vice, uh, at the time who was the CBSA's vice president, was the one who made the decision to hire the GC strategist. The agency's former director, Cameron McDonald, said in his November 7th testimony before standing before the committee on government operations and estimates. So, Jonathan, what do you think about this uh, and everything going on with the whole ArriveCan fiasco? Ah, the old Arrive scam app. Dude, <laughs> it's just, you know what? Um, right from the get-go, this thing's kind of bullshit, right? Because you're building an app to spy on citizens and to spy on foreign people that come into your country. You're saying, you need to download this app so I know where you are all the time. Because of a virus that's like a cold? What are we talking about here? Like, yeah. I don't even know how this thing got off the ground. It's completely, it's completely insane to me. And it's just a good example of how much ground they made up through COVID in terms of sort of taking away your privacy and working towards some sort of system that keeps us all under a little more control. Um, so that, that's kind of first. Second of all, <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever built an app before or been a part of building an app. You can build one of the most robust apps in the world for like 500,000 to a million dollars. And like all brand new tech, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Not stitching together old parts and you know using other people's code, like brand new, million bucks, you are good to go. Like yeah. this thing costs $54 million, 54 million. So, you know, it's, it, it, the whole thing is just corrupt the whole time. And now that they're looking at this, Trudeau, Trudeau's trying to back out of it and take any responsibility, which I understand that's what he always does. Right. But the reality is he's responsible. He's the guy at the top. He's the one letting these things happen. He's the one that said, yeah, press play. Let's do this arrive can app. Let's track everybody. Got it. And <laughs> then they approved this $54 million. Look, we know that government spending is always going to be five times more. Five times more, no one even would have batted an eye. If it was five million, they would have been like, ah, who cares? But dude, 54 times more? It's insane. And someone's got to yeah. be hung out to dry for this, right? And this Min Doan guy looks like he's going to be the one. The chief technology officer looks like he's going to be the guy. Because they got something on him, right? Anytime something like this happens, you know, G so GC Strategies, that company... They were highly unqualified for this job. Highly unqualified. That's actually what this case is about right now. They're like, you didn't really? deliver an app that even worked. You lied about your credentials, and you did, and you have, you have, you do not have the experience. Sorry, you lied about your credentials. Same kind of thing. Um, so they are obviously in a in a heap of trouble. I don't know how much because I'm not sure what the legal ramifications are of lying and then submitting a proposal for fifty four million dollars. Someone says they're going to pay you. That's like saying. Well, it's illegal that you charge this guy $10 million for this piece of art. It's like, well, what if he paid me $10 million for it? How hey. is it illegal? <laughs> so I don't know how much trouble GC strategies will really be in, but the government needs someone um, to take the fall, obviously, right? Yeah. And up until now, it's kind of been like, well, he, he did it, she did it. I, I have no idea. But now you got this one guy, this Min Doan fella, who 
if you look him up online, he's you can't really find too much about him. Um, there's not a lot of photos. He's he's probably been around for a while, but he's kind of under the radar in in a lot of ways. And I think that's going to be an easy fall guy for them. I think they're going to go, hey, um, this guy threatened the CBSA. He's the one that approved these things. He's the one that did this, this, and this. They'll probably, you know, do something to his bank account, add a few extra zeros, and all of a sudden, <laughs> he's the fall guy. See you later. I think that's the easiest way out for the for, for the Canadian government, so I wouldn't be at all surprised if that's the way it goes. Um, you know, again, it's just a shame to see them using $54 million of our dollars, our taxpayer dollars, for bullshit like this. No, it's kind of sad. And, and, and even just realizing this is like, first of all, who was responsible for vetting and doing all of this? I think this is just more embarrassing on the Canadian government's part once again, just because like, if some, like you said, if someone wants to charge $53,000 or 53 mil, I mean, $54 million for a proposal, doesn't mean you have to accept it. Exactly, and pay it. dude. We like, all want that payday. Like, Come on. <laughs> like, like in the private market, that's what goes on. Every, people shop around. They look around. They look, look and see. But you know, when it's not your own money and it's not coming out of your own pockets, it's easy to say, yeah, sure, you know, I like this guy or I like this girl. Let's go with them because um, who knows? Maybe they met up beforehand. Maybe they were kind of like plugged in. Oh, like, dude, who, this who reeks of corruption. There's no way you hand out a guy a contract that's 54 times the market price to a company that's not qualified to do the work and there's no corruption. Come on. <laughs> that Mindone guy's got a bank account in the Cayman Islands and there is $10 million sitting in that place for sure. There's no other way that happens. Too many people have to get paid for money like that to move around. Yeah, it's 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 too apparent. And, and you know, it's funny enough. Uh, a lot of people, you know, when they think of like you know Canada, they 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 think it's all rosy. But it, it just situations like this is fire. <laughs> it, it's it's legit on fire right now, and it's showing you that like the corruption here is just a little bit more smile in your face and yeah. kind of like, yeah, everything's okay. Like la la land. Well, they do it in front of your, they do it in front of your face. Right. So yeah. if you're in a lot of these other places where there's like a cartel, you got to pay them like it's a toll route. Yeah. Your money comes out of your pocket. Here you go. One hand to another. See you later guys. That's how from the bottom up, that's how that game works here. They're just like, well, we just passed legislation to let us be, be, you know, to commit fraud. Don't worry about it. We're fine. They do it right in front of you. When they're, when they're awarding $54 million contracts to develop an app, that is so blatantly right in our face. It's so yeah. embarrassing. Like you said, it's embarrassing. It makes us look like such a joke. It, and, and I think one of the most interesting things about the app in itself is just that, like, I don't know if a lot of people really knew this, but, like, there was ways to not even use it as we were traveling. Like, yeah. I, I, I don't know about you guys, but um, I saw when I was traveling during that time, I saw people avoiding using the application. So, you know... I started to inquire as to why, you know what I mean? And that led me to even realizing that, like, once again, some things that are made apparent in the public eye aren't actually how it works behind the scenes. Like, you know, you could have just filled out the forms when you got here. You could have just maybe used the website, done other things. Right. But it seems that once again, with all this public pressure uh, and, you know, lies being told to the people that, you know, they felt like they were forced to use something that they might not necessarily had. And it's interesting to see how it, this has come to light over time because during that time, it was like, it was like people were just, I, I guess they were really fearful that they weren't able to come to their own country. But if you were a Canadian landed citizen, there's no way that- Bro, if I could have got out of this country, you. I would have been gone. Like, <laughs> so fuck the people that want to come back. I don't even know why you'd want to do that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's the whole thing. The whole thing's a bit embarrassing. I think that they- I don't think that they enforced it as much, um, to your point, and there were workarounds, probably yeah. because it was probably illegal to enforce it to begin with. It was probably against a number of laws. So they're like, oh, let's just tell them they have to do it, and we'll see who jumps on board. Yeah, so 
Yeah, it, it goes to, to do some research. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how that develops. But uh, it seems like they found their fall guy just like Mr. Speaker. So considering that, then let's move on to headline number two, Jonathan. So for headline number two for today, we have the FTC challenges the FDA over medical patents. So in this article, it states that the U.S. Federal Trades Commission, also known as the FTC, on Tuesday said that it sent letters to um, medical device companies and drug makers, including Abby uh, V, AstraZeneca, and uh, Teva. In this, uh, in this, it was disputing the accuracy, accuracy or relevance of 110 patents that could lead to delays in generic co competition. Many of the patents at issue in the Food and Drug Administration's Orange Book listing of approved products were for devices such as like asthma inhalers, uh, epinephrine uh, uh, adjudicators, and uh, and other devices. The FTC said so. It also mentioned in this article that wrongfully listed Orange Book patents by pharma companies can raise drug prices for Americans uh, and harm fair competition and delay better drugs. The FTC chair, uh, Lena Khan, said on X, formerly known as Twitter. So, Jonathan, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, it's just one more tool big pharma uses to keep more money in their pockets, right? So the, the nuts and bolts of the story are that big pharma improperly files patents on drugs that should be generic so that they can ward off any competition, buying themselves another year or two in the market so that no one else can bring in competitive product, drive down prices, and remove their revenue. That's why they do this. It's, it's wow. like AstraZeneca, I think one of their drugs, I forget exactly which one it was, they make $2.54 billion per year on that drug. So obviously you don't want competition. So how it works in the pharma industry is you get a patent. Once you get a patent, you have 10 years. So once that 10 years is up, the information goes into public domain and all these generic drug makers can provide drugs for people at a lower price, which they should, especially in America. It's gouging. It's insane how, how much they charge for things there. It's crazy to me, especially like one of the interesting ones that just popped up was how the multiple that uh, I think Pfizer now charges for Paxlovid, or I believe that's correct, um, that treatment option for COVID. And it like double or triple or quadruple the price right out of the gates now that it's not covered by the government. So if you want to, if you want to take, it's like 13, 1400 bucks. I mean, it's a couple of pills. It probably costs a dollar 50 to make the, the money oh that they gosh. make in that industry is wild. Now don't get me wrong. I know there's overhead. I know you have to pay staff and blah, 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 blah. But I think that's probably the hard cost, like a couple bucks. So yeah. anytime that these guys can stop a generic drug maker from grabbing a hold of one of their patents and putting it in the market for a couple bucks, cutting the price down. And that was what they, that's, that was what the point of the story was about, um, you know, how it drives prices up for consumers because a generic company will grab it, go, Hey, this costs a few bucks. You know, this company, say Pfizer, or in this case, AstraZeneca, they're charging 500. Well, we'll charge hundred bucks because that's reasonable. And we're still 20 Xing our, we're still 20 Xing the cost. So this is, this is what we'll do to the market. So then AstraZeneca goes, fuck, we have to sell for $99 now. So they just lost $400 and that's pure profit, right? Yeah. So they push off any way they can to just keep more money in their pockets, but this should be nothing new. I mean, these companies have massive influence over the media. These companies have massive influence over the government. These companies have massive influence over the regulatory agencies. They're in complete control and they're, I believe the number one industry in America right now driving that country is pharmaceuticals. They're also the number three reason for death in the country next to cancer and heart disease. These people are evil. And I don't know how they were able to run a campaign, the best propaganda campaign I've ever seen, to convince people that they were the solution to the pandemic because they just killed more people. It's wild. 
So this is just one more example of them exerting their power um, over these agencies. You know, the FDA obviously turned a blind eye to this. They, they know that they were, they were improperly filed. Probably in their pockets. <laughs> yeah, they are. The thing is, is like, I think their drug, um, their, their, like, their drug enforcement department or drug establishment department or whatever it is, like 75% of the funding comes from big pharma. The whole thing is just this incestuous mess of money changing hands and citizens losing their lives or just spending more money for generic drugs. It's kind of bullshit. Um, and this is just one more example of the same thing. That's kind of crazy. But like, you know, you know, I had some questions, you know, like what, what about some for some people in the audience? Like, you know, that may be a little bit confused about like, you know, what's the difference between like a, a patent versus like, you know, exclu exclusivity. Can you like explain that a little bit more? Um, so if you have a patent on something, it, it kind of is exclusivity. It kind of is like when you, when you own a patent on something, no one else can utilize it. Or you can sell it so that you, they can use it, right? So if you own the, if you own the information, the technology, the, the, the ingredient list, whatever it is, um, yeah. no one else can copy it or else they, then, then you're, you're, you're basically looking at a legal battle, right? Yeah. Now, if you own the patent, what you can do is you can sell exclusive rights to someone. So let's say you, let's say you developed drugs, but you, didn't, you, weren't, you weren't Pfizer. You could yeah. license that patent to Pfizer for X number of dollars or X number of dollars per unit sold or whatever, whatever that agreement may be. Now, you could go exclusively with Pfizer or what you could do is you could go to all the drug companies, but then at that point, it basically becomes, you know, I'm not sure there's as much value in the patent if you're licensing it out to that many people. Maybe there is. But anyway, after 10 years um, in, in the medical industry, in America mm -hmm. anyway, um, it just becomes public domain. So what you can do, though, what these pharma companies do and what you, what, what you could do if this were you in, in this case, if you find an alternative use for the drug, you can refile the patent and buy yourself another 10 years. I believe it's another 10 years. Ooh, friend, you can re-up like that. Yeah, but you have to find an alternative use for it. Now, this is, this is inaccurate, so don't use this as an example. It's just a very simple way to think about it. it, it this is rudimentary. So if I, let's say aspirin was only for headaches. Let's say that's what it was. And then yeah. just before your, you know, your patent comes to an end, you go, oh, we actually found another use for it. It's also good for back pain. So then you can mm. refile and reuse that patent for another X amount of time. So okay. they actually spend a lot of time trying to find ways to rework their patents. But when it comes to things like asthma medication, what the fuck are you going to reuse that for? It's an inhaler, right? So there's <laughs> nothing true. really there. So that's why they're, they're, they're buying themselves time by, um, you know, just improperly filing the patent information so nobody can actually copy it. Yeah, that's kind of sad. It makes you really question if like, you know, with all the advancements, you know, medical technology has made, it's like, are they really trying to cure or... Absolutely you know, not. <laughs> Absolutely not. You're commoditized. Humans are commoditized from the day they're born, right? Wow. Think about it. Like you, everybody wants to commoditize a human in one way or another if you own a business, right? Yeah. That's your whole goal. It's like, even if you sell food, I, I know you're going to eat. I want you to eat in my restaurant. That's what I want to do. So in a sense, you are commoditized. That's kind of the deal. These government organizations, these, these pharmaceutical companies, <clears throat> they start commoditizing you from the day you're born by pumping you full of vaccines. And I'm Oof. not going to get into a conversation about right or wrong there, but that's what it is. And when I was a child, I believe... I believe we had 16 vaccines, 16 shots. I don't know exactly how many, the number of them, but a couple I think were doubles, right? Yeah. Um, now it's in the 70s. Now it's in the 70s. So you look at this, and again, we know that there's no, um, there's, there's legal coverage for vaccines. So these, these, all they do is they get listed on like the necessary vaccines. Do you know any of them? I There's don't know so any of the necessary ones. I just know it's increased, like, even since, like, I was a kid. Like, right. I know, like, I had to get some to, like, go sure. to school and stuff like that. But now it's, like, I swear it's, like, they're, like these ba they're even trying to shoot up babies every right. uh, and all of this stuff with all type of stuff. Well, they're, they're, you know what? Scary. <clears throat> There's a lot of things. If you do some research, again, I'm not going to dig too deep. If you do some research, you can find some pretty negative corollary effects with the volume that we're giving kids these days. Yeah. Um, and I know that's going to be a hot topic and people are going to argue with me, but there's pretty strong data to support what I'm saying. 
Uh, but anyway, um, what happens when you when you get a vaccine listed? So during the Reagan administration is when they they took away the um, the uh, the legal responsibility from the pharma companies. And basically, how the conversation went was the pharma companies go, look, we're spending twenty dollars for every one dollar we make in legal expenses. You either give us coverage or we're going to stop making vaccines. That's what we're going to do. And he goes, why don't you just make safe vaccines? And the response, <laughs> right. That's, that's a very good question. That's a, great, that's that's a, good a point. very fair point. And their, their, their reply was, it's an inherently dangerous business. But then so, maybe don't do wow. it. So, so anyway, that, that, that was their take. So from the day that they basically said, okay, here's your blanket coverage. You're no longer legally liable. Yeah. What happens now is all these companies, they just push as fast as they can to get these vaccines listed for childhood vaccines. Because then they're going into millions of kids every year, right? At yeah. no cost. You don't have to market them. They're already listed. So from the pharma company, they just produce and produce and produce, but they don't have to sell them to you on TV. They don't have to market them. They're listed by the government as essential. So if you get on this list, if you get a vaccine on this list, bang, there's a billion dollars, probably every year, if not more. And then you add incentive by giving the people at the NIH wow. and the FDA part of the, the, the kickback from the patents. So, and- I'm not exactly, when I say the part of the kickback from the patents, they have to be involved in the patent itself. They don't just give them kickbacks arbitrarily. So I don't want to get caught up in that. I don't know which ones they're involved in, but I also know that's part of the equation. So when you yeah. look at this, you're kind of like, yeah, these people just run the world. And it's no surprise that they're doing it once again, just by improperly filing stuff for a few extra billion. Who even cares? Yeah, in their opinion, people will probably forget about this. They really, they really found the infinite money glitch, you know, just like you know, Love. like the Grand Theft Auto like glitches back in the damn PS2. Like, yeah, yo, they, <laughs> they're running it up right now. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's uh, that's scary to see. But you know what? Let's move on to the next topic. So, with that being said, next up we have headline number three. And for headline number three, uh, the t the headline is female powerlifter faces a two-year suspension from the Canadian Powerlifting Union. Team Canada powerlifter April Hutchinson has repeatedly raised concerns about biological males competing in women's sports, particularly biological men dominating the women's powerlifting competition. After a couple attempts to voice her concerns, April's federations disregarded her until recently, when the Canadian Powerlifting Union decided to suspend her for two years. In a recent tweet, Hutchison said on X that, breaking, I now face a two-year ban by the CPU for publicly speaking about the unfairness of biological males being allowed to taunt female competitors and loot their winnings. Apparently, I have failed in my gender role duties as supporting actress in the horror show that is, that is my hashtag sport right now. Naturally, the CPU deemed my written and private complaint of the male bullying to be frivolous and vexatious. Hashtag the CPU hates women. Hashtag save women's sports. This is getting cr pretty crazy in the world of women's sports, Jonathan. So I'd love to hear your take on this. This is such a charade. Why, why are we <laughs> letting men play women's sports? This is crazy. And anybody that says, oh, they're all the same. Great. Then why aren't there women playing men's sports? Oh, because we're not the fucking same. It's just. That's it's, a good point. It's just preposterous, dude. And look, like people are like, well, they're on hormone blockers or this or that or whatever. Bro, I'm 180 pounds. I have broad shoulders. I'm solid. I'm like, I, my bone density is different. The way my mm. entire body developed through puberty is very different from a woman. We have different strengths. Literally. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the thing that's the not fact, a bad thing either. No, but the fact that people keep keep trying to make excuses for this is just such a clown show. Like, look, 
be who you want to be. I 100% support that. I really, really do. I mean, I support it at a point when you're an adult. I don't think you should be, you know, mutilating children. I have a really big issue with that because I don't think they have the the wherewithal to make those decisions at that age. I think that needs to stop immediately. That is wild. That is the other thing on this topic that's crazy. But- why are why are we why are we letting women just crush pardon me men playing these women's sports and just crush all of their records and everything they worked so hard for? You know what I mean? It's sad because like I'm always a bodybuilder back in the day. I love that stuff. And it's just a shame when you see people put all of their hard work and effort and everything they've gotten to try to be the best and perform at the highest level and win. And then all of a sudden some stupid cultural policy comes in and just lets a dude jump in there with balls and just crush them. <laughs> and, and and the thing is, it's like if you, if you actually look at the article, she's like, I actually wrote a private letter to the CPU and yeah. said, hey, you know, I just don't like that these men are allowed to boast and throw it in our face that they're winning. Not even that they're here, just that they're allowed to gloat like this. It's embarrassing. And she gets like, this to me is exactly what's wrong with allowing politics into sports like this. You know, and I think there's, I think it, it, it goes across. I think the, the swimming one was the big one that I don't know what that dude's name was. Uh, Le- Leah Thomas, or that's like the, the yeah. name, the recent name. You're starting to see, well, <laughs> you're starting to see like, they're starting to block them, right? So they're starting to block biological males from playing in female sports. Oh yeah, sports. The, the Olympics said n- enough of that shit. Right, right, because <laughs> the thing is, it's like, no matter what, like you're going to get guys that are just going to do it to be, just to be funny almost. Like I'd almost go in there to prove a point. Like, okay, I'll go play an LPGA tournament. See, you hit the ball as far as I do. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. Look, um, I think uh, on. Tw- I'm not sure if you're familiar with Zuby. Uh, Zuby literally mm. did that in in the UK like yeah. a couple years ago. He went and entered for their deadlifting competition, beat crushed the record, everybody, crushed it. <laughs> yeah. Just <clears throat> just one dropped it and left. And yeah. He's still, I I think he still technically has a record. It, the record. The, the big <laughs> issue, like, this is crazy. It's crazy that we let it get to this point. It's crazy that. You know, it all like I said, any you want to be whoever you want to be, love that. Be yourself. Yeah. But the fact that we let this bleed into sports and we're all supposed to sit here and pretend that it's normal and that it's okay, it's not. It's crazy. And I'm glad we're starting to see people push back in a lot of ways. Yeah. But then you still have this virtue signaling bullshit from this with the CPU or something like that, just saying, Hey, you're getting banned for two years because you're not jumping on the bandwagon. Like what you're doing is you're promoting your it's it's a mental disorder in a lot of cases. That's what this is. No, it definitely is. And it hasn't changed in its no. definition. It's just that we're, now we're trying to appease feelings. Yeah, so. exactly. And the thing is, these people are being opportunistic. Because the thing is, if you really wanted to be a heavyweight lifter and this is what you love to do and blah, blah, you'd go do it with other men. That's what you do. You're yeah. just doing this to you're doing this to put a trophy on the wall. You're doing this to get like recognition or be popular, whatever it is. And it's just sad, you yeah. know? Um, and I feel bad for this girl because, like I said, it's the same thing as the Riley Gaines. Like, these people put in so much effort to be great at something they care a lot about. And I grew up my whole life yeah. being an athlete. I loved it. And to have it just taken away by some crazy cultural policy and then everyone else tell you, get in line, you're the one that's wrong. Like, by, like so, so, objectively, objectively, I'm not wrong is what they should be. I know they're saying this. Yeah, it, it's just pretty wild because there's been so many examples showing that like, hey, like these physical differences are like night and day. Like you even just look at like, for example, a couple of years ago when you had the U.S. women's soccer team face uh, the the high, I think it was the under 18 men's hosse, ha, ha, soccer team. So this was a bunch of high schoolers. Yeah. And they got mollywalked. They, they got crushed. Yeah. Another good, and, yeah. And, and don't get it twisted. I'm not saying that those women are bad. That's just to show you the, the level difference. of skin, the difference, uh, let alone. And in my personal opinion, there's nothing more misogynistic than a man going into a woman's sport and saying, I can be a me- better woman than you and crush yeah, you. Yeah. That's a good like, that's point, crazy. actually, man. You know, that's actually, that's actually kind of like, I, th- I think you raise a really good point in saying like 
This is getting a lot of women to push back, which is what we needed. We need that's so, exactly you what needed, we needed somehow for this for this to get this course to get corrected. And I think what's happening is more and more like the more this happens, as much as it's sad and people are sacrificing winning and you know having a career in whatever the sport may be, more people are pushing back. It's like ten yeah. to one. Every time this happened once, ten people push back and go, "That's insane." You know, we yeah. got to go the other way. Another, another good example actually was one of the Williams sisters. Um, I think it was Serena, the better one. Yes. Um, she played a couple guys that were outside the top 200, and she got crushed by them. Oh, yeah. And she's possibly the best women's ever. tennis player ever. ever. You say I mean, dude. Like, it's just <laughs> insane that we're – I just wonder sometimes, and I, I've been asking myself this a lot lately, why is the world such a charade? Why do we know that things are factually or objectively wrong? But because of some weird political and cultural dogma – we all have to pretend that it's real. We have to play pretend like we're six-year-olds. And I, it, it, don't you find it? I find it really hard to consume some days and be like, this is just the world we live in because there's no logic to any of it. It's absolutely insane. But like I said, the more it happens, um, the more people are going to continue to push back. And I'm mm -hmm. hopeful that it comes to an end before too long. Yeah, and I, I think it's really starting to become, uh, become uh, come to an end because like we're, it, not only are we seeing people who are like, you know, more moderate or, you know, conservative pushing back. Now we're starting to see a lot more people who were, you know, once liberals and everything like that really starting to push back. And this is like the level of common ground I think everybody needs to come to. Yeah. Because there's so many things in society where we don't have common ground on. Pretty much And anyway. that's why there's so much disconnect. <laughs> yeah. But the minute this really starts to affect, you know, women a, a lot more, and I'm, I'm really glad, like, you know, like you said, unfortunate I had to get to this. Yeah. But it's, it's important that more women speak out against it so that, you know, the, we can unify on this, at least on this issue alone. And, and, and this is not to say or discredit and say that, oh, um, you know, uh, transgender people shouldn't be in sports. They should just be in the sport of their original, you know, sex of origin, or we should just create a whole new category altogether if we can't do that. But sure. I think that's the, that's the solution what's going to have to come down to, but it's going to be an interesting one that develops over the next decade. Yeah, sure. I agree. I mean, to your point about like how to fit them into sports, it's like, look, the whole world shouldn't have to bend over backwards because a few people. I'm sorry, yeah. you just shouldn't. It's less than <clears throat> less than like two percent of people. That's I what swear. I mean, and, and that and so I just don't I just don't feel that like if these are the choices you want to make with your life, then you're accepting the fact that you no longer get to compete in certain things. That's your choice. You shouldn't make the Fair. rest of the world have to bend over, and hundreds of thousands of athletes every year suffer because we're we're appealing to a a very insignificant percentage of the world. It's just so ridiculous. Well, that's pretty wild, but. We're going to move on to the next headline. And next up for headline number four. So headline number four, we have new emails show the DHS created Stanford Disinfo Group that censored speech before the 2020 election in the United States. So in this article, it states that new emails show officials at the Department of Homeland Security created a Stanford University disinformation group that censored American speech before the 2020 election, according to House Judiciary Committee report exclusively obtained by the Post, uh, by the New York Post. The House panel's 103-page staff interim report says that never-before-seen emails and internal communications were obtained by the group known as the Election Integrity Partnership, also known as the EIP. And it showed how it worked with the DHS Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, also known as CISA, to flag and suppress and remove online, uh, online speech in coordination with big tech companies. 
One of the EIP's founding partners, the Atlantic Council's Digital Forensic Research Lab, described CISA's central role in the alleged censorship effort in a July 31st, 2020 email. So, Jonathan, what do you think about this situation going on here? Um, this is actually pretty wild, and I don't know if it's going to get enough air because the current sitting government uh, are Democrats. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and it's election season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they just they just did the um, the off year elections the other day. Um, I think this is treason. That's what I believe, and I'll tell you why. Um, the Department of Homeland Security is a government organization, right? At the time. They teamed up with Stanford, and it didn't really matter who they teamed up with. Stanford was just, Stanford, for all intents and purposes, could be considered anybody else. This is spearheaded by the Department, Department of Homeland Security, who worked for the sitting president, who at the time was Donald Trump, right? Yeah. And what they were doing is they were specifically censoring Republican speech. Things that were, and this is in there, this is in the case. They were censoring things that Republicans were saying that were true, and they were marking it as misinformation, and they were pulling it off the internet. And they were working with companies, primarily Twitter. And what they would tell Twitter and, and Meta is, if you don't do this, these, org these government organizations are going to come after you and cause you a bigger problem. So yeah. <clears throat> you've got a government organization that works for the sitting government, Trump in this case, the Republicans, working actively against them to overthrow that government to implement another one, being the Democrats or Biden. That is, by its definition, treason. That yeah, is what that is. Quite literally. And Mayorkas admitted it as much. He goes, oh, yeah, we're not really doing that anymore. Of course you're not. The government that you want in place is in place. This is wild. These organizations need to be held accountable. There is no checks and balances at this level, and they just do whatever they want. And this is the proof about this whole deep state thing. You're like, oh, you're a conspiracy. This is what it is. <laughs> yeah. This is what it is. I mean, look, I understand that you need organizations that keep a country running that not, not necessarily work over top of your president or your prime minister, but that work alongside mm -hmm. it all the time, that know how to operate, whether there's a Democrat or a Republican or a liberal or a conservative in power. This makes sense. But when they go rogue and do whatever they want to bump somebody out or use their power within the organization to kick this government out of place, dude, that is, that is some crooked treasonous shit. And these people should be hung for it. That's exactly what needs to happen. And, I, and because, like I said, because, there is, because this came up, while Biden and the Democrats are in power, it's just going to be thrown out. It's just going to be under the rug. It's going to go away. No big deal. And you know what's worse? You know what's worse is you got all these kids at these D1 schools like Stanford, Harvard, all these other places. Maybe not Harvard these days. You got all these people <laughs> at Stanford. You know, these are, these are high-performing individuals that are going to run the country and help run the world. And now they think this is okay. This is how you do things, right? That's so a you good see, way to put it. It's, it's just like, you know, monkey see, monkey do. And these guys, man... There's going to be no accountability, but this is pretty dark. And I hope that someone, I hope that someone highlights this the same way that's got a louder voice than me because this is ridiculous. No, that's pretty crazy to see. And, <laughs> and it's just sad because, um, you know, especially during the time when we saw like the whole uh, January 6th situation that went down, it, it was, it, especially after hearing reports like this, now you can tell the response was, was textbook gaslighting. 100%. Where, where they're just, you know, obviously, you know, there's some things that went down that people probably shouldn't have done, but, you know, this is just vindicating and justifying exactly why they went and felt the need that they needed to do that in the first place. Because, you know, the government and a lot of these top universities are, are, are in collusion with each other. And, you know, they have a real monopoly on, uh, on violence, uh, especially in response to citizens. So, you know, seeing that people have been like, you know, saying this for even before the 2020 election and just seeing it come to light now and and having 
uh, and having like, you know, you, you know, and essentially being vindicated in what they originally believe. It's just, it's, it's, you know, it's warming because not only do you have that moment of like, hey, like, yeah, th this is true and you understand it's true, but it's also sad because then you also realize that, yeah, it is true <laughs> at the same time. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out, especially going into the next election that's coming up because uh, we're about to witness uh, a litany of lies going on in, in the next, you know, uh, election cycle because, uh, that's what that's what happens during the election cycle. Tons of promises, tons of lies going on. Well, yeah, I mean, I think what's happened now, it just it just continually degrading itself, right? It used to be like you'd run based on merit, right? Yeah. And I'm sure there's always some funny business going on, but you'd run based on merit and policy and what you're trying to do. And then it got to the point where you know they would kind of smear each other, like, oh, this guy's sleeping with this, he's cheating on his wife, or they did this, or whatever it is, whatever it is. <laughs> that's character like, attacks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But now we're at this point where now we're using deep state government organizations and weaponizing the DOJ against each other to try to imprison our opponents. What is next? Like this is, this is not first, this is not first world politics anymore. And so you see things like Ooh. this and you're like, this is a good indication that things are spiraling out of control. You are looking at more, this is more of an, I know that we do not live in an autocracy. I know that, but this is autocratic behavior, yeah. right? That's exactly what this is. And I think it's a really bad sign for America and honestly, the, the rest of the West. So I hope it starts to straighten up, but I have my doubts. Yeah, that, that's spooky. It, it's really sounding like, hey, the next step, unfortunately, might be, you know, some people, I don't want to wish it on anyone, but people getting deleted. Like, that's like what happens in third world countries. But, uh, that's, that's a spooky time to be in if we get to that point. But this is why, you know, things like this, what we're doing exists so that we can um, have a conversation. Yeah, you know? bro. I, one of my, this podcast, episode one of this podcast already got censored on Spotify. Already, only to one of my buddies, he messaged me. He's like, "Hey, I can't watch your thing; it's censored." I'm like, "What? On Spotify in Canada?" I'm yeah. like, "That's crazy." But anyway, here we All are. All right. With that being said, then let's move on to the next uh, headline. So, for headline number five, we have updates in the U.S. presidential poll. So, former President Donald Trump would beat President Joe Biden in a f in five of six key battleground states. Wins. These wins would likely secure him an Electoral College Party victory, according to a new poll that was taken uh, a year before the election, which shows that voters are dissatisfied with the direction the country is moving, uh, and they blame Biden for their personal hardships. So what do you think about this, Jonathan? Well, first of all, I think polls are... Take them with a grain of salt, always. You know what I mean? They always say, oh, it's 2% accurate. It's like, man, eh, you asked 1,500 people. So it depends on the data <laughs> they're having, where you ask them from. But anyway, enough data. Um, you know, in assuming that it's reasonable, you know, the biggest problem they actually have is not that Trump is doing a better job. It's that Biden's doing so poorly. So I, I dug Ooh. into this a little further. And one of the things that they mentioned was if the Democrats <laughs> ran literally anybody else, Trump would be losing in the same fashion, he would be losing five out of six of these flip states. Oh, so that, yeah, exactly. That's so it's, sad. Well, it's just like the Biden effect. You know, people are starting to become aware of the fact that like, if you have to choose between two really bad options, Trump's the guy they're going to pick. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. it's, it's, it's sort of a shame that, you know, we say this kind of stuff like this all the time, you know, in a country of over 300 million people, these are the best two people they can come up with. We know that's, we know that's crazy. We know that makes no sense. Um, but I think more and more people are waking up to the fact that Biden's just not mentally available. He's completely yeah. compromised. And I don't say that in, in like trying to attack him. I feel bad. It almost feels like elder abuse. Like, what are you doing to this guy in his final years? You're just putting him on stage, probably pumping him full of drugs so he can keep his shit together. 
but he's he's not capable. And it's a shame. And, you know, I think like 66 or between 66 and 70% of Democrats feel the same way. You know, they are not willing to toe the line. You can get a bunch of politicians that are getting paid by the government to jump in line and say, Joe, Joe, he's our guy. He'll be fine. We're right there beside him. You can get that. No problem. But to get, you know, hundreds of millions of people to buy in when he's so clearly compromised, they're just not having it. It's insane. Not to mention the country's in shambles right now. Yeah. So you kind of have to sort of pick and choose and blame somebody. He's wearing the brunt of that. How much of that is because of democratic policy versus how much of that is from a pandemic and all these different wars? Arguable. And would, would, a, would a Republican have made the same choices? You know, Trump's like, there never would have been a war in Ukraine if I was there. I don't know. How can we you say that? We don't know that for but, sure. So you could have easily, and you know, Republicans are notoriously pro-war. They could have pumped just as much money. We don't know yeah. into these things. It could have happened. But the reality right now is um, Americans don't want Biden in place because he puts the country in a very vulnerable position, right? We know, yeah. we know that he's not actually the one um, pressing the buttons. We know he's not the one actually, you know, directing traffic behind the scenes. We know that. But when you have a guy, and I think a lot of people know that all the time, you always have to have a strong team, especially if you're going to run a, the, the most powerful nation in the world. That's obvious, yeah. right? But the thing is, it's so clearly obvious that that there's no power within the presidential seat right now because the guy is, like I said, completely compromised. And I think this is just an indication that Americans have had enough of it. And like I said, if they have to choose between two bad, bad options, they're going to choose Trump. You know, one of the positives, though, in this is uh, RFK continues to do better. So RFK Jr. in this poll, I believe, was um, he was polling at 22%. So and that's in a three way race. I think um, Cornell West is also in it as an independent. So he's got a few percent if he's on if he's on the ballot. But if it were just a three person race right now, RFK is up to 22%. Now, don't get me wrong. He's got to double that if he wants to have a chance. Yeah, yeah. But he's he's running as an independent now. Yes, is that he is. He had to. Yeah. So he had to start running as an independent because the DNC, the Democratic, uh, the Democratic Party, um, they started implementing these rules that were wildly insane. So there was one that they implemented that if RFK, if any other Democratic candidate went into certain states like New Hampshire, Georgia, if you stepped foot in the state based on the DNC's law that they made, the rule, because they make their own set of rules under these yeah. organizations. If you step foot in that state, every vote you get goes to Biden. I am not kidding. Oh, wow. That, that is, is crazy. insane. So he did the math on it. RFK did the math, and he goes, I need to win 80% of the votes to be able to beat Biden just in the primary, which yeah. is wild. He's got no chance. So he goes, look, this may not work for me, um, but... I've got zero chance running as a Democrat. Zero, zero chance. Because they forced him out. What they should have done has been like, hey, we can beat this guy. Biden, people give Biden trouble for saying, oh, he didn't want to go to the primaries. That's actually not accurate. Sitting presidents never go to the primary debates. They don't. Yeah, that's not a No, a it's, it's exactly. So I've it, wasn't a, it wasn't a big deal that he wasn't willing to go. And that was what made him most vulnerable. So if I'm the DNC or if I'm Biden and I'm trying to get him to win again, you know, all I'm doing is letting, let RFK do his thing. That's fine. He's, he might divide Democrats, but at the end of the day, Biden's going to win the primary and then he's got to run against, you know, maybe Trump. That's fine. But because they implemented all these divisive rules, it just drove him out. But now they're in a really tough spot because he's drawing from both sides. Because let's be realistic. These are both terrible candidates. They just are. RFK yeah. should be the guy running the country, in my opinion. But I'm not American and I don't know this stuff deeply enough. So someone's probably going to tell me I'm an asshole. That's fine. Fuck you too. But, <laughs> but the thing is, they have a real problem now 
because he really is dividing votes. He's got a strong independent vote, and he's actually taking more votes from the Democrats than he is from the Republicans. So he may vary that that move by the by the Democrats to implement those rules to drive him out from running as a, as a Democrat yeah. may be to their maybe their own demise. So there's two things they're really doing by implementing those rules. They drew they pushed away a candidate that is a real threat, and by continuing to run Biden, which at the end of the day I don't think they really will. Um, but by as things stand for now. They're, that's the second thing that's cutting their own chances. So here's the way I see it. If Trump gets elected president in 2024, the mm. only people to blame are the Democrats. Yeah, it's all on them because uh, if you ask me, they still have a, a, a strong, strong lead in, in, in support. I think a, a lot of people, you know, push this, especially like, you know, U.S. conservatives. A lot of my friends, sometimes they push this narrative that there's going to be a red wave and people are finally waking up. I don't think so, man. I think there's a diehard community of vote blue no matter who. Yeah. Like, there's a diehard community of that, and, and it's not going to change anytime soon. Well, you're not wrong because, yes, so just yesterday, uh, they, it was the day before, but I think yesterday all the results came out of the off-year elections. So mm. a lot more Democrats won than you would expect. But you know why? What happened was, which is always stark for me, right? So I sit here, and I feel like sometimes I live in my own silo, and I have to be careful of that. Because I go, this this country, these people, this city, they must be sick of this. They must have had enough. This is no, wild. No, they love torture. People but, love getting their ass whipped. But, but, <laughs> but then they go and vote in someone like They're Olivia kinky. Chow. <laughs> Olivia Chow is a lifetime NDP. She, and she's admittedly fucked over the people. Yeah. So they, 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 but they still voted for her. Oh, so you're, you're like, these people want this. And then when you look in the states, you're like, all these Democrats are winning in the off-year elections. You're like, people want this insanity. And I'm, I'm like, telling you, they're I'm kinky. Like, is it are they are they are they mentally unwell or am I just in this weird silo? But ah. but what was interesting though, I will say, one caveat I will say, the reason that the Democrats did so well in the off-year elections the other day was because of the abortion rights issue. Oh right? yeah. And I think we talked about this the other day because they they pulled it off the shelf. See, they could have codified it years ago, anytime, but they used it as a political weapon. So they took it off the shelf and used it for the Senate race last year, right? Um, and they did it again now for the off-year elections. So what, what's silly to me, though, is the Republicans, Republicans rather, just keep playing into their hands, right? Yeah, what they keep doing is they go, oh, we're going to push this for abortion and this and this. Like, look, Republicans, if you're out there, 80% of Americans believe that abortion should be legal. 80%. You know, so if, if all of that 80% are Democrats, there's 50, that, there's a remaining 30. So of your, of your portion of people, that means that 60%, if, say, the country's divided in two, they, 60% of Republicans... If the, if the country was split right in half by my math, still believe that abortion should be legal. This is an uphill battle you're not going to win. And every time you push yeah. these laws, you're appealing to a smaller and smaller base. So you need to stop doing it. You need to stop pushing this. And then what will happen is your other policy will then be in the forefront. But until they do that, man, anything could happen down there because it's such a contentious issue. And it's worked for the Democrats twice. So no, we'll most see if they definitely. Use it again. And, you know, it, it plays into the biggest thing, which is uh, on people's mind, which is women's rights. Right. And uh, like I, I like I like the poll suggests, like like what you're su suggesting. Right. Let's say if, even if 60 percent of uh, Republicans still believe in abortion. Right. Yeah. I think the main issue is just people just don't want the government funding abortion. I think that's where, like, uh, you know, they could, like, moderate on, you know, me personally speaking, just right. because uh, I, I don't think anyone's against, you know, a woman's right to choose. Like, let's say, if, you know, they got uh, they got graped. You know, that I'm using the word grape yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. intentionally. Sure. Right? <laughs> I don't know how the censors are going to react to the actual word, right? Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, so I, I don't think anyone's actually against it in, like, you know, scenarios like they that. They are, dude. People, some people in Texas push this shit yeah, wild. Yeah, some people are I fanatical it. about it. Fanatical. Yeah, because, but, that's, but that's a minority. But, yeah, of course it is. But they're so, like, they're, they're, they're religious zealots about this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I don't care if it's incest or whatever or whatever. I'm like, no, like, first of all, look. You never get to decide what happens to someone's body. They get to. I don't care if it's a vaccine. I don't care if it's abortion. Blanket rule. Do what you want to do with your own body. Everyone else, hands off. That's how that works. That's the end of that conversation. But these religious zealots get into these things and they don't care. They're just like, they're out there with their signs and freaking and screaming and doing all this stuff. And it's like, look, man, live your life. Do the best job you can of living your life. Leave other people the fuck alone. That's how I feel about it. And I believe the Republicans need to get on board with that side of it. Because how hypocritical is it? That Republicans are conservatives through, I'm not really conservatives, I don't think we care as much in Canada, but Republicans are saying, we're pro-bodily autonomy if you want to get a vaccine, but not if you want to abort that baby. Guys, and to that point, to the Democrats, the same thing. Well, we're, pro, we're pro-choice. I'm, I'm pro-choice for everything, but not when it comes to vaccines. You have to stick this thing in your body. Guys, yeah. how are you able to be this big of hypocrites on the global stage? Again, what a fucking charade. What are we doing? <laughs> Anyway, yeah, I digress. It, it's going to be an interesting development. But yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, we'll see what, as time goes on, how the, you know, the political race down south continues to develop. But until then, let's get into the next topic. Yes. So uh, for the next topic, we have headline number six, which is the Bank of Doug. Nice. <laughs> Ontario government is forming a new private bank. Premier Doug Ford's government is facing questions as to why it wants to establish a bank to attract private sector invents, investments into projects, into projects such as long-term, home, uh, long-term uh, care homes, nuclear reactors, and student housing. The Ontario Infrastructure Bank uh, was a showpiece announcement in the government's fall economic statement last week. The fiscal update revealed the province's current deficit sits at around $5.6 billion, four times higher than projected in the budget that the finance minister, Peter uh, Bethel, uh, Bethelin Falvey, my gosh, yeah. Peter uh, yeah. Bethelin Falvey. We're, we're just going to put that on the screen in writing. We're gonna yeah, I'm going to have to most definitely write that. I'm going to say it again for good measure. Minister Peter Bethelin Falvey tabled in March. <laughs> the, minister, the, the minister is pitching an infrastructure bank uh, as a way to finance the construction of these projects that perhaps otherwise wouldn't get built, end quote. So what do you think about this? Uh, how is this going to affect the people of Ontario going forward? This is interesting, right? So there's, a, there's actually good and bad here. And I think you have to be able to sort of discern which way it's going to go based on history. That's what, how I feel about this. Okay. So the idea of Let's the Ontario hear. Infrastructure Bank is not really a new idea because we had one called the Canada Infrastructure Bank started in 2017. So the idea here oh. is that you're going to use private sector investments to build out infrastructure, which is not, and I'll tell you why it's a good idea. So this is a good idea for, for a reason. So what you do is you alleviate the upfront tax burden on citizens, Right. And people argue, oh, well, you have to pay a little more in interest. Yeah, but that's not bad considering versus the, the high, like the, the investment itself out of the get. You know what I mean? So if it's an extra couple percentage in, in um, interest to make it appealing, that's okay. So you get to scale critical infrastructure faster by using private funds. This actually makes sense. And another reason why I think it's important in Ontario is to our back to our immigration problem, right? If over 1 million people have come to Canada this year between permanent residents and non-permanent, and 40% of those are in Ontario, 
We have a, and our, what's our biggest problem in managing these people is critical infrastructure, yeah. right? So if we can build out these things faster, this actually, this actually is a good system. This would work well. However, if you look at how things went with the Canadian infrastructure bank since 2017, it was a $35 billion um, investment from, from the government to begin with to then draw in private investment. And they've been shredded apart for everything you can imagine. It was just, it was run like a government organization runs something. It was bullshit, right? <laughs> so everything cost way too much money. Everything took way too long. Their selection process was a mess. Everything about how they ran this was a disaster. So if you look on a government website, they're yeah. like, oh, it was so important. We did such a great job. They've been nothing but criticized. And in 2017, the NDP and the conservatives both said, if we're in power, this thing is gone tomorrow. Now, the oh, liberals wow. haven't shut it down completely because they'll look like they have egg on their face, but they're not even using it. It's garbage, and it, it, it's not working well for the citizens of Canada, right? So, mm -hmm. and again, it's not because it's not a good idea. It's because it's run by the government. So here's kind of my point. Based on, you know, Doug Ford, we know that he's shown us a couple times that he will do corrupt things, right? Look at the green, yeah. look, look at the green, look at the green belt debacle, right? So this guy has shown you that he will make sure his buddies get paid, Contracts move around, money moves around. He will make sure that that's how things make go. Make sure he gets paid. Well, the, he, he, I, the thing is, it's, it's that, but it's all the other people that are involved in it, right? Yeah. So if you can trust people to be who they're going to be, you can say, well, Doug Ford's in charge of this. There's probably going to be some corruption, right? And on the other side of it, well, it's going to be a government-run organization. Well, how is the CMHC doing? Not very well. They, they, they 12 homes out of, what was it? 687. They converted Jesus. at 2% efficiency. And oh then look gosh. at how the CIB is working. Also, not very well, as yeah. it's already on its way out after only five to six years of being in business. So the reality is, good idea, but it's not going to go well because of the people that are involved in running it. Execution is everything. And I've, you know, I've seen that in many, many different environments. It doesn't matter. You can have the right game plan, the right setup, the right players, the right team, the right this. But if anyone, if you can't execute on it, it's just not going to work out. And I just don't understand how, uh, you know, adding more, uh, I guess, government controlled financial entities is going to help. Like in my personal opinion, just because like, uh, I think we already have a little bit too much government involvement going on. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it, there is some positives to it. But like, I just think it, the, the negatives outweigh the positives on a grander scale. I, I, I just think that, you know, opening up, you know, our, our, our financial system to more global investment, uh, you, you know, and allowing for more like, let's say, smaller or regional banks would be a far better idea than just like, you know, creating this this new government investment bank core that we're, we're not going to know what what their standards are going to be and, you know, what's going to hold them accountable and, you know, uh, what's their process on, you know, on on investment and everything like that. And are they even going to, you know, get the right type of uh, people to run it in the first place? So that's just a little bit of my concern there. Yeah, I mean, here's how I look at things like this. Private sector moves 10 times faster than the public sector, right? Because yeah. they act because it's, it's capitalistically driven. They want to make their money. But when you combine efforts, what I notice you get is the lowest common denominator is the one that kind of runs the show. So based on True. how the government operates and how inefficient they are, how much, how bloated their system is, how much extra money they spend, how much red tape you have to cut through, that's the system that's going to dominate. So even yeah. though they're saying, oh, the private sector's involved, it's still going to operate the same way as all the rest of their stupid programs. So at the end of the day, I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah, we're going to have to see how this one develops, but um, <clears throat> I'm not too hopeful on that one either. <laughs> but 
Um, that kind of brings us to the end of our topics for today. So, that wraps anything else up. you want to add? Uh, no, that wraps us up for the day. Thanks, everybody. Um, yes, I do. I want to tell you to follow us at uh, on Instagram, on Facebook, on TikTok, on YouTube, on anything you news, on anything you use rather at uh, Blender News. It's B L E N D R News. Um, and then if you want to sign up for our newsletter, that would be amazing. It's out six days a week, and you can find that at BlenderNews.com. All right. Bye, everybody. See you soon.